As we continue tonight our series through the order of salvation, we consider tonight the doctrine of our adoption. We'll use Galatians 4, 1 through 6 this evening as kind of a launching point to consider that doctrine together. Let's pray before we hear God's word read. Father, speak to us tonight as your children. Set us upon your knee. Speak to us with that still, small voice. May we find that, ah, you're receiving breadcrumbs from our Father in heaven. We would know what it means to be adopted children of yours, that we would come to Revel in this doctrine more fully, more gladly. And any of us that are not yet part of your family, O God, that even tonight you would show us your graciousness and your kindness. Might even surprise some of us tonight and bring us into your family. We pray all of this in the strong name of Christ, our elder brother. Amen. Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7 this evening. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, that he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, and especially our verses tonight. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of a son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave. But a son, if a son, then an heir through God. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God is forever. Be to God. Amen. First thought that we have about God, who God is, you think about who God is, is the most important thought that you have, because it shapes everything else. And yet I think, to reflect upon it, and in my discussions with others, there are very few Christians that their first thought is Father. And yet, it should be, I think, the principle thing that you think of when you think of God. It should be the first thought you have. It should be the thought that dominates you. And how can you make such a statement, Jason, I say, because when the disciples asked Jesus how they should pray, how they should talk to God, he began with that salutation, our Father. 
It's how he taught us to approach God, our Father. Christ could have taught us to pray our Sovereign. He could have taught us to pray our Lord. He could have taught us to pray our Creator or our God, but He didn't. He went to the relational, the most intimate of names we have been given, our Father. As J.I. Packer said, sonship must be the controlling thought, the normative category at every point. His truth, we call him our father, is from the doctrine of adoption. As we consider the order of salvation together and we're working our way through it, we are at the point where we are looking at this doctrine together, this doctrine of adoption, this central truth of the Christian life that you and I, if we are in Christ, are adopted children of God. First, we think about this adoption together, this doctrine together, first, adoption, we need to understand, is an act of God's free grace. You'll notice from the text this morning, God sent forth a son born of a woman at an appointed time, born of a woman of his own creation. He was then, we're told, born under the law. And then you have this purpose clause, so that we might receive adoption as sons. He came so that you might have adoption as a son. As John Murray said, this is surely the apex of grace and privilege. And I think that's right. We often think of justification when we think of grace, and rightfully so. This is the great doctrine that the reformers grabbed and that they grabbed back for the church from the teaching of the Scriptures and kept pressing home that our justification is by grace alone. And so rightfully, when you and I think of grace, our mind runs to justification. But I think John Murray is exactly right. If we are talking about the apex of grace, and especially the apex of privilege, that our minds should run to adoption. Doctrine of adoption. There is no privilege like this. They're made children of God. Thomas Watson, commenting upon this, said this. He said, we have enough in us to move God to correct us but nothing to move Him to adopt us. Therefore, exalt free grace. Begin the work of angels here. Bless Him with your praises who hath blessed you in making you His sons and daughters. So that's my great hope for us tonight. And that's my great exhortation to you tonight. As we think about the doctrine of adoption together, Don't let it not affect your heart and your soul. And are to bless God in the midst of this as we recall what it is that He has done for us. Don't take it for granted. Be amazed by your adoption. Second, you need to understand that adoption is different from justification and is different from regeneration. When you 
work your way through systematic theologies on adoption, they will always go to this point that adoption must be understood as different from justification, and it must be understood as different from regeneration. And the reason they try and distinguish it between those two is because there are such similarities between adoption and justification, adoption and regeneration. They're tied at the hip, but they are distinct. So adoption has a very close relationship with justification. In fact, in the order of salvation, most theologians will place adoption immediately after justification. It comes after justification, not because it occurs in time after justification, but because it logically flows from our justification. Without justification, there could be no adoption. And yet, in Christ, when we think about justification and adoption, they are simultaneous actions. They're happening at the same moment. But though they are simultaneous, they are distinct. They are different from one another. Justification and adoption. They differ substantially. In justification, you and I are received into the kingdom of God. And we are declared to possess all the rights and privileges as citizens of that kingdom. In adoption, we are received into the family of God. And we receive all the rights and privileges as sons and daughters of our Father. In justification, the scene is a courtroom. Whereas in adoption, we are taken from the courtroom and we are placed in the family, in the living room, if you will. Justification speaks to our legal relationship with God. Adoption speaks to our personal relationship with God. To be amazed by your adoption. Notice how Paul speaks about it in our passage, bringing home this point. He says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. It's a personal, familial relationship. We become sons, as we said, by grace. But particularly, though, it is as the Spirit comes into our lives that we become children of God. No one cries, Abba, Father, apart from the Spirit of the Son coming into our hearts. There is no universal childhood of mankind. Not everyone can call God Father. It is only those who have Christ as Savior that can call God Father. But when we are in the Son by faith, we enjoy sonship as He enjoys sonship with the Father. That should rattle your soul with delight. Blair Smith wrote, he said, becoming a Christian then means coming into the father-son relationship, a relationship enacted and empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
you come into the relationship between the eternal Father and the eternal Son as they have it. You become a son of the Father. Whether we are male or female, we all become sons of God, heirs of the promise. Galatians 3, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now Paul's point here is that because we are now sons and we are aware of our sonship, our new status, our relationship with our Father in heaven, we can cry out, Abba, Father, as he says in our passage. And that's an intimate term. It's, a, it's an Aramaic word, Abba, Father. It's not Hebrew. It's not Greek. It's a term that we have upon the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ when he is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying that the Father would take this cup away from him. He cries out to him, Abba, Father. And it's unique. All kinds of ink that has been spilled on this term in scholarly circles over the last 70 years. And what is very clear, at the very least, is that this was unique. It was unique in this sense, in that Jews in Jesus' day might call their earthly fathers Abba Father, but they would never call God Abba Father. But here it's on the lips of Jesus. And the early Christians will pick this up. And so you have in the early church, because Jesus taught us to pray, Abba, Father. They will use this over and over in the early church. Paul is doing it here in Galatians 3. And it demonstrates that you and I have a unique status with God the Father. It's been said that that term means daddy. And I understand what people are trying to get at, trying to speak of its intimacy, but in the New Testament world, a father had the utmost respect, and he was to be given the utmost honor. So I don't think that's the best way to understand it. I like how one scholar said it, the nearest we can probably get at is dearest father. Dearest father. There is an intimacy as, lo as well a manifold honor that is given there as we are in relationship with this heavenly Father. We are adopted. We're not simply justified. We're adopted. Before we go on, one us also see its relationship to regeneration. Because it has a close relationship to it as well, and yet it is distinct. In regeneration, we are given in part what was lost in the garden. In the garden, Adam lost the heart and the spirit of a child. And we are given the heart and the spirit of a child. Whereas in adoption, we are granted the rights of a child. Both are crucial, right disposition and right status. Adoption has in view our status. We have a new status in the family. We are granted the rights and privileges of son, the rights and privileges of his children. In some ways, we could rightfully say that adoption is, to Murray's point, the apex of grace and the privilege of our salvation. And because of that, the entire order of salvation, we could say, 
is all summed up in adoption. In many ways, it is comprehended in this great privilege of adoption. So much so that Paul will say in Ephesians 1.5 as an example of this, he says, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. That is, in eternity past, the reason he, that He predestined you and I was that we might be brought into His family to be sons of His. It's the apex of privilege. It's the highest privilege we receive. In fact, let me press this home before we look at the benefits of adoption. The greatest of exchanges happens in our adoption in Christ. When we think about adoption, we immediately think of orphans. Think of those who have no father or no mother. But that's not what's happening biblically. When God adopts us, we're not orphans. We have a father. Jesus will say to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. We're not fatherless. We have a father. He takes us. He doesn't adopt orphans. He adopts enemies. That's what he does. We had a father Our father, the devil, we were by nature children of wrath. God doesn't take orphans and bring them into his home. That alone would have been merciful and generous. He surpasses that he takes enemies and he makes them his children. We come from sinner to son. From rebel to heir. To be amazed by our adoption. Third, and this is where we are going to spend our time tonight. I want you to see three benefits of your adoption in Christ this evening. As a child of God, you receive His fatherly care, eternal belonging, and incredible inheritance. There is more, but we're going to spend our time on these three tonight. His fatherly care, eternal belonging, incredible inheritance. First is fatherly care. John says this in 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. So we are. It's a unique word that John uses here as he's reflecting upon the love that God gives to us and showing us and His love and calling us as His children. And the word usually has the idea of what kind, as the ESV translates it here, as I just read it to you this evening. But as Marshall, a New Testament scholar, said, here it has the force of what size. What size of love. I think the NIV captures it well with this sense. It says what love He has lavished upon us. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. But that's easy to begin to doubt as we're facing different trials and tribulations and different sufferings 
in this world. It's easy to doubt that he actually has care for us. So John goes on to say this. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now. That is, he's reminding those that he writes to, you have his fatherly care now. It's not something that's just future. His love brought you into His family. It's not that you shall be His children. You are. It is not that one day it shall be realized you already are. And as your Father, He cares for you now. Peter echoes this when he says in 1 Peter 5, Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Or as I read from Psalm 103 this, morning, this evening, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. You have His care now as His children. He doesn't purchase us with the blood of His Son and bring us into His family. And then lay off all the benefits of His fatherly care until we get into heaven. That's folly. That would be silly. He cares for you now. And so that means that whatever is brought into your life, whatever admonishment you receive, whether that is something temporal or whether that is something spiritual, It is all the result of His fatherly care. He is truly working all things together for good for those called according to His purpose. He's handling you with fatherly care. You can no more escape His fatherly care than you can separate from your own soul. You're His and He is yours. This is unalterable and this is incontrovertible. Just to underscore this, I want you to think about the great love the Father has for you as His child. And I think about that. I think many people run to John 3.16. Wonderful place to run to. Where I run to is John 17. For Jesus is praying that high priestly prayer and He utters some shocking words. He's praying to the Father and He says this to the Father when He's praying. He says, the glory that You have given Me, I have given to them. Now that's shocking. But then He goes on to something that is even more shocking. He says that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that You sent Me And loved them even as you loved me. I give them glory. So that the world would know. That you love them. He loves you. Even as he loves his eternal begotten son. Allow that to stagger your mind. You know, spend all of eternity trying to get to the depths of that love. He loves you with the same love that He loves His eternal begotten Son. 
Do you think you are not the object of his fatherly care now? Second, we have an eternal belonging. Adoption is eternal. John 8.35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. My two children are my two children. And they are my two children. And they will always be my children. They are, for better or for worse, my children. But here's the reality, is that someday we will be separated as father and children. Maybe that they depart before me, God forbid, more likely that I will depart before them. And there will be loss in our relationship one way or the other. But with Him we will be His children forever. There's no leaving this family. There's no being cast out of this family. There's no separation in this family like there will be experienced in my family. We're forever Forever His children eternally adopted. If there are days in eternity, they will pass. If there are seasons in eternity, they will pass. But our sonship in Christ will be as fixed for all of eternity, even as God being God is fixed for all of eternity. Another way of saying this, our adoption is a great assurance, the greatest assurance of our salvation. In Romans 8, 5-16 through 16 we read, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. There we have it again. We cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies to our spirit that we are God's children. This is the highest assurance we can have. Third, as a child, you receive an incredible inheritance. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 1 4 an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Israel, like the nations around it and the people groups around it in the New Testament world, adhered to the inheritance laws of the ancient East where it was the firstborn son that would inherit all of his father's possessions and was the heir of the whole estate. Well, Christ is the firstborn. He is the heir. The heir of what? Well, the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 1-2. God appointed him the heir of all things. All things are his. All things in heaven. All things in earth. Everything under the earth. All is his. He is the heir of all things. Everything will be his. Everything. And yet, in the new covenant, as Galatians 3 makes clear, there is neither Jew, nor Greek, 
There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. We are fellow heirs with Him. What is Christ becomes yours. Christ's inheritance is our inheritance according to the promise. Michael Horton said it this way, he said, everyone who is in Christ is a firstborn son, a co-heir of the entire state. We are not children that need to jockey to outdo one another like Jacob and Esau did to try and gain the greater inheritance. After all, as we are told in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? You receive all things. The co-heir with Christ. All things. Paul says in our passage, verse 7, So you're no longer a slave, but a son. If a son, then an heir through God. We go from a slave to a son. A slave does the labor he is required. He does so because there is benefit in the immediate for doing so. At the time A slave might receive some limited wages in the New Testament world. They would at the very least have the favor of their master and they would escape any sort of punishment. But a son is not a mere worker. He's not looking for his wages at the end of the day or at the beginning of the month. He isn't laboring to avoid a harsh consequence for disobedience. He isn't motivated by servile fear. By... Lyle fear. And there is a world of difference between the two. A vast difference. As difference as ferocity of a hurricane is to the gentleness of a morning mist. Slave's attitude is contractual and it's cringing. Sons is love and delight. To our point here, there's a difference between the reasons for their expected rewards. The slave holds up his work and expects to receive recompense for the work. The son just receives because of his status. The one is contractual, the other is relational. The former is grounded upon what is right, the latter is grounded in the paternal goodness of the Father. And there will be a day that the Father gives all to His Son in Christ Jesus, and we who are in the Son will inherit all just based on our status. Our Father's interests are always our interests. I think many Christians, 
probably many of us in this room, we, we give a sin to the fact that God is Father. I think we no doubt call Him Father at times in prayer. We do it in song. My great fear though as I interact with Christians is that I, I don't know that many have felt, have the heartbeat, have the spirit of a son of a heavenly father. That you know the joy of, of being in relationship with the heavenly father that has given you all. That you know what freedom that means for you. Do you know what kindness that means has been directed to you? What care that means is aimed at you? What promises have been handed out to you? I think often we go back to that slave mentality as if it's contractual. As if he looks upon us as a harsh taskmaster. As if it is just mere authority and that is it. And he is just pressing his thumb. It's a father. In the best sense of the word. Some of you have had miserable fathers. I understand that. He is a father in the best sense of the word. And he's your eternal father. It is truly the apex. It is the climax of the great benefit and privilege of our salvation. It is grace on steroids that you and I are made children of the heavenly. You haven't thought about this enough. You haven't lived in this enough. You haven't rejoiced in this enough. I know that. John Apostle is thinking upon this. That verse that I quoted where he says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. John Murray, in that wonderful volume that so many of us are using as we preach through this, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, he said this about the Apostle John there. He said, John could not get over it, and he never will. Eternity will not exhaust its marvel. Charles Wesley Close with this, captured this amazement well in a hymn that he wrote with these lines. He said, where shall my wandering soul begin? How shall I all to heaven aspire, a slave redeemed from death and sin, a brand plucked from eternal fire? How shall I equal triumph's rays or sing my great deliverer's praise? 
How shall I the goodness tell, Father, which thou to me hast showed, that I, a child of wrath and hell, I should be called a child of God, should know, should feel my sins forgiven, blessed with the antipest heaven. Child of God. Father in heaven, how easy it is for title to roll off our lips and how little we understand. That you have made us sons of yours. That you've sent your spirit into our hearts to cry forth, Abba, Father. And forever you are our Father that forever we are your sons. We find that we rejoice in this truth more fully, that we operate in the freedom of this truth more fully. We live and dwell in the truth of this more fully. Really, we shall seek to contemplate it more and more, day after day, for all of eternity. This apex of grace and of privilege. Be called a son of yours. What love you have lavished upon us. We give you praise. In Christ's name.